Well, today we are going to embark on a short series of messages through the minor prophet Amos. This is in the Old Testament. Sometimes it's easier to go to Matthew and then go back a few books. But let me tell you a little bit about Amos before we get into this message today and beginning in this series. The book of Amos is really one of the most readable, relevant, and moving parts of God's Word. But in a lot of church history, I guess until recent times, very recent times, little or no attention has really been paid to it. And lots of times it's hard to get into, so to speak, some of these Old Testament prophets. Some of the books in the Old Testament, we tend to gravitate to them a little more than others. But some of the prophecies, I mean, like really, Habakkuk, Haggai. I mean, some of these you're just like, okay, I'm not reading that. You know, but here's the thing. It's all important. Every bit of it wouldn't be in the Bible if it wasn't important to us. So here's the reason, though, when you find a book like this, and you, you know, there's 12 minor prophets, the last 12 books of our Old Testament. They're minor because they're shorter, not because they're not important. But here's the reason why Amos has been largely avoided until very recent times. It's because the things that he talks about are being done by humanity and being done even by many in, the, many in the church. Many churches are guilty of the things he's drawing attention to. So naturally, we don't want to go read something that's going to condemn the actions that we're currently participating in, right? So when we see something that makes us feel, and rightly so, convicted or guilty, we're going to avoid that. Two of the major themes in Amos social injustice and religious routine, religious formalism. In other words, those two categories of action are talked about, almost focused on within this prophecy. And so naturally, if we're not hitting on all cylinders in those areas, we're not going to jump at the opportunity to go read this prophecy and see what it has to tell us because it's going to tell us we're doing stuff wrong. Okay, So... If we were not, you know, then it might be a little more understandable why we neglect the book. But even so, it's in the Bible. We really ought not to neglect it. So with that being said, what's the setting? Where, where are we in, in the course of history? Amos is one of the first prophets to write. In other words, we have the, one of the earliest prophets who's actually left literary remains and the dates of his writing not really in dispute. So... Amos, this will help you understand, Amos and Isaiah were around at the same time and writing and prophesying about the same time. So we always talk about Isaiah writing prophecies about the Messiah being born, and it's about 750 years prior to Jesus being born. So you can put Amos in that same time slot, about 750 B.C. That's when he appeared in Israel, toward the end of the reign of a king named Jeroboam. In Israel. Now, remember, you had two different kingdoms when it was divided. You had Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And so Jeroboam was the king in Israel. So it was an unusual period of prosperity in the northern kingdom in Israel. The only difficulty was the prosperity was due to the fact that the rich were taking advantage of the poor. So the blessings, so called, that they they had enjoyed or were enjoying was because they were treating other people poorly, taking advantage of people. 
So this is why Amos was inspired to write this prophecy. So let's talk about Amos as an individual. He might have looked pretty amazing from a human point of view, but he was most likely a guy that had no formal religious training. He probably had no formal training at all. In fact, we're going to read some words today in the message today that's going to tell us he was, he was a, a sheep herder. I mean, he was a, a poor man. He was working hard for a living. But here's the thing about that. Even the author that God used for this prophecy, it's one of the most uh, important lessons, really, of this prophecy. God uses the insignificant. Do you believe that? I hope you do, because, I mean, whether you believe it or not, it's true. God uses the insignificant. This is a highlight of that truth. Think about what Paul wrote at the very beginning of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, right around verse 26, 27, 28. He says, remember your calling. In other words, he's, he's telling the people in the church, don't you remember when you got saved? He said, there were not many noble. There were not many strong there were not many uh, intelligent or wh- many gifted. In other words, what he's saying is God chose you, saved you, because he wanted to highlight the fact that he can use anyone to bring him glory. And so it ought to be a reason for rejoicing for the majority of all people because guess what? If the world looks at you as someone really important and s- someone really special... Who's more likely to get the pat on the back and the glory from that? You are. What what does God not want? God's not sharing his glory with anybody. So here's what happens. When God uses someone insignificant that the world would look at and say, gosh, what do they have to offer? When God uses someone like that, who gets the glory? God does. Because it's obvious only God could have moved in such a way. Only God could have brought about that result because the world tries to size you up and give you value based on their criteria, not on the criteria that Christ gives us. We find our value in Jesus. I'm I'm here to tell you, and I, I suspect that this, I hope this will resonate with you today. I, as an individual, I am of no value No special, I'm no one special apart from Jesus. Jesus Christ shed his blood, allowed his body to be broken for me. That's the only thing valuable about me, is him. I'm nobody special. Plenty of people can do what I do far better than I can. Jesus Christ is what is valuable in me and in you. This book is a highlight of that truth. God will use the insignificant. So if we're looking for people who have great standing in the world's eyes to be our leaders, our our saviors, we're, we're going down the wrong path. God uses those who do not have great standing in the world's eyes to demonstrate his great power. And that's what's going to be on full display here in this study through the prophecy of Amos. So let me read this text. We're going to actually split the beginning of this 
sermon series, we're going to read two verses at the very beginning of the book, and then we're going to flip over to chapter 7 and read a few verses there because it goes together. You'll see how a little bit later. So let me read for us Amos chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and then Amos chapter 7, verses 10 through 17. This is what the Bible says. The words of Amos, who was among the sheep herders from Tekoa, which he envisioned in visions concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. He said, The Lord roars from Zion, and from Jerusalem he utters his voice, and the shepherds' pasture grounds mourn, and the summit of Carmel dries up. That's a great way to begin, right? Now flip over to chapter 7 and verse 10. Amos chapter 7, verse 10. We'll read down to verse 17. This is what the Bible says. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent word to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel, and the land is unable to endure all his words. For thus Amos says... Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. So then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee away from here to the land of Judah, and eat your bread there, and there do your prophesying. But no longer prophesy at Bethel, for this is a sanctuary of the king and a royal residence. So then Amos replied to Amaziah, I am not a prophet. Nor am I the son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now, hear the word of the Lord. You are saying, You shall not prophesy against Israel, nor shall you speak against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Your wife will become a harlot in the city. Your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be parceled up by a measuring line, and you yourself will die upon unclean soil. Moreover, Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. Father, I pray in Jesus' name you'll give us clarity today, that you'll speak clearly to our hearts. Lord, please give us understanding of your word so we might obey it and live according to it. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Three things in this text today that are almost self-explanatory, but when you read this text and put it together, there's some very serious lessons that we should take note of today. The first one, I'll give you the the outline ahead of time, and then we'll fill it in. Number one... Pay attention to God's Word. That should go without saying, right? Pay attention to God's Word. Number two, don't twist God's Word. And number three, don't doubt God's Word. Pay attention to God's Word. Don't twist God's Word. And don't doubt God's Word. First of all, in the first two verses of this prophecy, this is number one, Pay attention to God's word. God's man speaks. We start off the words of Amos. He said. So here's what's going on. 
Amos gives in the first verse, a little, it's a little uh, introduction, tells us who he is. He's a sheep herder from Tekoa. Now, you put, see on the screen I put, not Georgia, because it's not spelled the same, but I just don't want anybody to get confused. This is not a good old boy from over in Tekoa, Georgia. This is a totally different place, totally different context. But notice what he says right off the bat. He received his words from God. Okay, that's very important. He received his words in a vision from God. It was two years before a great earthquake, and it says very specifically here in the Bible, it was during the reign of King Uzziah in Judah, which was the southern kingdom, and King Jeroboam in the northern kingdom, which was Israel. Now, here's one thing to note if you're, if you're uh, taking notes and if you like to note these things. One of the most uh, iconic passages in the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah is a major prophet, one of the most iconic sections of his prophecy comes in Isaiah chapter 6 when this is where the the vision of the Lord Isaiah sees the the Lord seated on the throne and it, and that's where he says uh, he hears the voice that says uh, whom shall I send and who will go for us and Isaiah says here am I send me you remember that 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 major passage in Isaiah chapter 6 well guess what in chapter 6 verse 1 of Isaiah he says it was in the year of King Uzziah's death. Okay, so that's the same king that Amos is talking about here in the days of King Uzziah of Judah. So that we know that they're contemporaries. Isaiah and Amos were around at the same time and writing at the same time, okay? So that gives us kind of a time frame of what was happening in the context of the lay of the land. The shepherds pasture grounds mourn. The summit of Carmel drives up, all because the Lord is speaking. Now, now get this. Try to get this in your mind. When God speaks, people, things, creation almost freezes and takes note. Okay? How did God create everything that exists? He spoke. There's great power in God's words. That's why we, we have to pay attention. We will benefit from taking very good note of what God says. That's why we have his word. The Lord roars from Zion, from Jerusalem. He utters his voice, and then you see the result of that. So we have to pay attention to God's word. Now, let me just uh, try to illustrate this in verse 2 because the words are so distinct. The Lord roars from Zion. Have you ever heard a lion roar? I mean, for real. I'm not talking about like on a movie or a television. I'm talking about gone to the zoo in an open enclosure and you happen to be standing there when the big boy just rears back and lets something go and really roars. Have you ever heard that? It, it's, it's very distinctive. It's, it it kind of, I mean, there's a big, uh, deep, rocky ditch and fence and everything and I, I still just kind of like, oh, don't, I don't want to be part of that. Because you get a glimpse of the power that is contained in that particular animal. And when he roars, and that big mane, and just there's a reason why the lion's the king of the jungle. Right? It's, it's very, uh, in a literal sense, it is awesome. It kind of inspires you to have a sense of, wow, that was serious. Okay? There's no coincidence then that this 
analogy that Amos uses here. The Lord roars from Zion. He, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He, he's the almighty king of creation. When he speaks, back up. There's authority behind what he says. So naturally, the result is fright, fear, reverence. The roar was to frighten those who were about to become the lion's prey. Amos said God would roar from Zion, thundering from Jerusalem. So the point of this first section is we really need to do a better job of paying attention to what God says. Pay attention to God's Word. Number two, this is in chapter 7. These last two points come from the second part of our passage today, Amos 7, verses 10 through 17. This is a, an accusation and a response because Amaziah is the priest in this particular town of Bethel. Well, guess what? Guess where Amos showed up and started, started prophesying from the very beginning? Right in Amaziah's backyard in Bethel. So naturally, he's a little bit upset. He feels like someone's coming in and threatening his territory. So number two is don't twist God's word because what we see here is the religious establishment is accusing God's spokesperson. Now remember, Amos was herding sheep. He wasn't in, I don't know, uh, prophet school. Okay? He wasn't studying to be a prophet. That was not his goal in life. He was herding some sheep. Okay? He was growing some sycamore fig trees. He was chilling out in the country, having a good time, doing his job. God had other plans for him. Okay? So let's make sure we remember that when this particular priest is accusing Amos, understand the two different perspectives. So, what does the text say? It says, Amaziah sent word to the king, and he tells the king that Amos has conspired against him. So he's making up lies. Okay, He's an establishment man. He is, um, you know, just the tr never let the truth get in the way of a good argument. That's the kind of thing that's going on here. He tells the king a false report, says Amos has conspired against him, and then he says, verse 11, well, this is what he said. Now, just for a note, there is no point in the entire prophecy of Amos, the entire book, which is comprised of nine chapters. Nowhere in there does Amos say any of the things that this man says he said. Not at all. Didn't stop him from lying, but just so you know, he didn't say any of these things this way at all. So... Amaziah then confronts Amos directly and tells him to leave. So he, he sends a report to the king, gives him a false report, tells him he said some things he didn't say, and then he goes straight to the prophet himself, tells him to go away. He said, look, you go back to Judah, eat your bread there, do your prophesying there, but don't do it here. This is a sanctuary for the king. This is a royal residence, he says in verse 13. So let me just give you some background on what's going on here. Jeroboam, the king, had placed at every one of his religious sites all in his kingdom, guess what he put there? A golden calf. 
Now, does anybody remember the significance of a golden calf? It was when Moses went up the mountain. Aaron was left there with the people. And they, oh, Moses is gone. What are we going to do? Make us a king. Help us. To, you know, we need to worship something. So he made a golden calf. They worship the idol. Moses comes down, loses his mind, rightly so, and rebukes everybody. So this same symbol, this person, Jeroboam, the king, had set up a golden calf at every one of his religious sites. He had instructed the people in his kingdom to worship there where the idol was. Not exactly a godly thing to do. Okay, it's, In fact, it's exactly what God said not to do. Exactly. So just so you know, you might want to take a note, outright disobedience to God's law has a very predictable result, and it's not good. Okay, When you outright disobey God, when he's told you specifically, don't do this, and then you do that exact thing, it's not going to end well. God has been very specific. So that's what's going on here in this land where Jeroboam is the king. He sends word to the king, tells him about Amos. Now, what has happened here is this priest has misrepresented God's man. Okay, very clearly. He said he said some stuff. He didn't say that stuff. And so he's told, him, told a lie. So this, I want us to focus in on this word misrepresentation. That often happens when, whenever the word of God is spoken, if you see a preacher that you know to be legit, and he's ever interviewed on the news or on television, what are the chances that they're going to get his words exactly right versus, oh, well, he really said this, and then you're sitting there watching, oh, that doesn't sound like something he would say. Well, probably because he didn't say it. He was misrepresented because the culture doesn't, doesn't play well with others when it comes to God's word being spoken. So people will... See if this is not true in your own experience. People will allow us to speak the truth of God as long as we speak it to ourselves or to the people who already agree with us or if we do it vaguely enough to where they don't really understand what we're saying. Right? Oh, I don't have a problem with you preaching the Bible as long as I don't understand what you're saying or as long as you just do it in church. Just keep that in your church building. You know, don't, don't come out here into the community and try to speak the Word of God because then we'll have a problem. Well, you just keep that in your closed-up building among yourselves. Y'all already agree on that, so that, that's fine. But let it be heard. Let it be truly understood. And immediately the opposition, the misrepresentation begins. Talk about sin, and, and people say, oh, those hypocrites, they just think they're better than everybody else. Talk about Jesus as the only way of salvation. They say, oh, they're just bunch of narrow-minded, they're just bigoted. That can't be true, right? Jesus can't be the only way. Talk about judgment. People claim, you, claim you've had a, oh, you had a, just had a bad childhood. You couldn't get along with your parents. Misrepresentation. The truth is not always popular, especially when you hold up this book and you tell people, this is the truth. You can believe it or not. doesn't matter. It's the truth. People don't like to accept an absolute. So this priest was speaking directly to Amos and telling him to go home. See, there was some, some self-interest involved here. See, this guy, Amaziah, he was in the religious business 
to make a profit. He was in it for the money. So naturally, he assumed Amos was in it for the money also. So his opinion and perspective was a business decision. So Amos, you can't hang around here because you cutting in on my profits. See, I, I got this city sewed up for myself. This is my cash cow in Bethel. So you, you can do your prophesying somewhere else. Go back to Judah and eat your meals there, prophesy there. Don't, don't do it here. This is, I, I got this one. So he misjudged him from the beginning because he assumed that Amos's goal and motives were just as wicked as his own. I read one commentator on this passage, he said, the person who forfeits the bread of God's word for physical bread is the greatest of all morons. I kind of like that. So Amaziah has got it all wrong. He tries to convince Amos that he's out of his element. He shouldn't be there. Well, guess what he doesn't remember or know about Amos? Why is Amos even there? God sent him there. He was busy doing his job, herding sheep, growing trees, and God took him out of that, sent him directly to this place. So Amos knows, no, I'm, I'm not out of my element. I'm, I'm only here because God put me here. So I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, which brings us to the last point, number three. Don't doubt God's word. Amos answers his accuser, verse 14. Amos replied to Amaziah, he says, I'm not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet. And if he was in today's world, he would say, I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet, but I do work for a non-profit organization. Just, y'all get that in a minute. So he says, this is not my choice of a career. I'm a sheep herder. I'm growing trees. This was not my plan. So don't tell me to go do my business elsewhere because I wasn't even planning to do this business at all, but God took me out of my job and told me to go here. So i got to do what God told me to do. Verse 15 says, But the Lord took me and told me, Go prophesy to my people. Now what are you going to say to that? No. Jonah said no. You see how that ended up. Taking a bath in gastric juice of a whale. Hey, that's what happened. That's why he smells so bad. So Amos says, look, God told me to do this. So let me just tell you what the Lord says. <clears throat> so this section ends with Amos saying in verse 16 and 17, hear the word of the Lord, thus says the Lord. So just understand, this is not Amos's message. That he did not dream this up on his own. This is God's word. He says, he reminds Amaziah what he said. He said, well, you say I shouldn't speak against Israel or against the house of Isaac. Well, here's your punishment. This is, this is just uh, brutal. Verse 17, therefore, <laughs> because you lied, thus says the Lord, your wife's going to be a prostitute. Wow, really? Okay. Number two, your sons and daughters are going to fall by the sword. Okay, so far my wife is going to be a prostitute. My children are going to be violently killed. What else? Number three, your land is going to be divided up. You're going to die in a pagan country. Okay, this is getting worse. And finally, he says, oh, and by the way, your country is going to leave its native land and go into exile. 
So all this is a direct result of twisting God's word, doubting God's word, speaking against God's messenger, because Amos was sent there by God, not of his own accord. He was taken from his job to be where God wanted him to be. But you see the outcome of this whole situation? The fact that Amaziah rejected Amos and his message had no bearing, no effect whatsoever on Amos or his message. He still preached there. He still got the message from God to God's people just like he was meant to do. It didn't affect the outcome in the slightest. So it makes me think of something in school. I use this illustration all the time because it's usually the simplest way to illustrate this. Two plus two is four. That, that's just the truth. That's simple math. Two plus two equals four. So whether or not we accept that as the truth has no bearing whatsoever on the fact that it is the truth. So I can not believe it. I can try to say, no, two plus two is seven or whatever. I can, so I can disagree. I can promote a different truth that competes with that truth. But no matter how much I do that, it doesn't change the fact that 2 plus 2 is still 4. This is exactly the way God's Word works. And so we should really remember this. In fact, we would do well to remember this because <clears throat> when we get out in the community and we take this Word, we're trying to be good um, witnesses for Christ. We're trying to testify to the truth. We're trying to share the gospel. What do people tell us often? Oh, that's not true. I don't believe that. You know, when I was, I was sharing with um, one of my longtime friends from high school, we were having this conversation, and um, he asked me one time, he, he just said, well, you know, I don't know, I haven't read the Bible, so just tell me, what does the Bible say about this? And then I forget now even what the question was, but it was some, some story from the Bible. He wanted, well, just tell me what it says. And so I explained to him, well, the Bible says this, and I explained to him, he answered his question, and you, you know what he said when I got done? He said, that just sounds like a fairy tale. Well, sorry. If you think it's a fairy tale, it's still true. I don't, I mean, no matter what you think, I mean, I, I hate that that's your opinion, but that's the words he used. That sounds like a fairy tale. Sorry. I didn't write it. I'm just telling you what, you ask me what it says, I'll tell you what it says. I didn't write the message. God wrote it. So you don't believe it, that's, you've got to take that up with him. So the fact that it's the truth sometimes does not uh, resonate well with our audience. Amos' words were the words of God, and they could not be dismissed. But here's the sad thing that happens when that happens. When people dismiss the word of God, what are the three points of this passage today? Pay attention to God's Word. Don't twist God's Word. Don't doubt God's Word. When people don't pay attention to God's Word or they try to twist it or they doubt what it says, you know what happens? This right here. Same thing that happened to this fellow here in the story. The Word, listen, listen carefully, the Word that is intended to bring salvation, same Word, brings judgment. 
God's Word was meant to bring salvation because it tells us about Christ, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who gives us salvation. That's the purpose of the Word, to show us Christ. It's a Word that was meant to save, and if we dismiss it or disregard it or twist it or doubt it, the same Word that was meant to save will bring us judgment. Because it is the truth regardless of whether or not we receive it. Does does that make sense? This word, if you believe it or don't believe it, that word doesn't change a bit. It's still the same. It's still true. It's still true that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through Him. It's still true that Jesus Christ came to this earth and lived, lived a sinless life died a sinner's death, and rose victoriously on the third day so that all who believe and trust in Him would have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That's the truth. And if you don't believe it, it doesn't matter. It's still the truth. doesn't change the text. doesn't change what God said. We can't afford to just dismiss this. And the more we study through this prophecy, we're going to see that time and time again. The people here, the reason why the prophet was sent is because they are dismissing God's Word. They're not paying attention. They've got it. They've got the Word. But they're not listening to it. They're not treating it like it's the truth. I don't want that to happen to us. I don't want us to be the modern-day equivalent of the people that God had to send a prophet to to try to correct them because they were so far off course. We've got got the Word, don't we? Raise your hand if you have a, a copy of the Bible either in your hand or in your possession. We've got the Word. Are we just going to pretend like we don't? Are we going to live in a a practical sense as if we don't have it? Because if we have it but we don't pay attention to it, does it really matter that we have it? We're We're not doing what it says. We're not heeding the truth that we have. I don't want that. I don't want that. I wouldn't wish that on my enemies. Because the result, you know what the result of that is? You know what it is, don't you? What's the result of not believing the Word of God? It's hell. It's judgment. It's wrath. It's eternal condemnation. Separation from God. That's what happens when you disregard God's truth. I don't want that. I suspect you don't either. Pay attention to God's Word. Don't doubt it. Pay attention. The Gospels show us, tell us, demonstrate for us the reason why we have... You know what what John says at the end of his Gospel? You ever read John's Gospel? This is the last thing I'm going to say and then we'll be done. At the end of John's Gospel, he says, you know, if I were to write down everything that I saw Jesus do, The world couldn't contain the books. But you know what he says right after that? Read it for yourself. He says at the end of John's Gospel, he says, 
but these are written that you might know and believe in Jesus and by believing have life in his name. That's why we have it. Believe and have life. Don't dismiss the truth of Jesus.